we need you. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. In the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, will let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 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 And Father, we thank you that you've given us the sure word of prophecy. You, you've told us in the word that you're coming back to bring your bride home. And we, we wait, we eagerly await, and we look up, for we know our redemption draws nigh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year to you. Happy 2023. One year closer, Amen. one day closer, one minute closer. Amen. 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 If you would open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10, we're going to be studying this morning uh, verses 9 through 34. We, let's see, several weeks ago we studied the first nine verses and then the last time we met we studied the, the, towards the end of the chapter and I did promise to you that we would take the center and sandwich that in between. And I think you'll see why, because there's some very, very important background here that we need to understand to find how God brought salvation to the Gentiles and why there was such a division between Jew and Gentile. So I, I pray God speaks to us through that today. And then, what can we do from here on in? So today's message is entitled, Shaping for Sharing. And what I'm speaking of specifically here is about the Apostle Peter. He was shaped by God as you and I are shaped by God for this purpose, and that is to bring others to Christ, to, to share the good news. And, and you know what, family? The world needs the good news. Amen. There, there's a lot of bad news in the world, but you know, there is great news in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for Jesus. So let's take a look uh, at chapter 10, but I want to preface that with this, that you know, in, in summary, we've, over the last several weeks, we looked at the life of this man named Cornelius. We learned that he was a centurion, a good leader, a strong leader. He stood fast as centurions would in the face of trouble. Cornelius was courageous, tough-minded, he was serious about his religion, a very religious man. He feared God with all of his house. He was considered to be a good dad. He was considered to be a good husband. He had a reverence for God. He was a man of prayer. The scriptures tell us that he was a giving man. He gave alms to the people. And he lived a life of very high moral standards. But with all of these wonderful qualities that he possessed and the accolades that 
were given, we learn that Cornelius, just like us, even with all this good stuff in his life, he needed a Savior. He needed Jesus, just like we all do. Because, you know, let's face it, and we understand this as Christians, that good works cannot save. Only Jesus saves. And he came to save sinners like us, sinful man from our sins. So Peter, the apostle, remember he was dispatched by God to the house of Cornelius to preach the gospel. So let's pick up in verse 9, and we'll read through verse 34, and then we'll go back through these again. It says, On the morrow or the next day, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while he made, they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit or held at the four corners and let down to the earth wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, has, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered the, into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know that this is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gain, saying, As soon as I was sent for, I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. 
He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all the things that God, that, excuse me, that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. As we know from last time that Peter preached the gospel to them, and Cornelius and his household were saved, then baptized. And that's an important thing for us to remember, and that is salvation always comes first before baptism. We've had people call on the phone here and say, I want to be water baptized. Well, have you come to Christ? No. Then you cannot be water baptized yet because salvation is primary. That's number one. That's first. Water baptism is second. So the order here is very important. This chapter that we're reading here is called, oftentimes, the Gentile Pentecost because it's the first time the gospel was preached to a completely Gentile audience. And this marked the beginning of innumerable Gentiles that would come to Christ. And, of course, we know that this continues today throughout the world. And, of course, right here, right now, and here we are, no evidence of the gospel coming to the Gentiles. I'm so thankful that God says, I'm sending you the word too, so that we can come to Christ as well. So this is quite a, a remarkable event in the early church. Here are some Gentiles that loved God, and they wanted more. This is Cornelius and his family. They desired that there's something missing in my life that I really, really need, something I really want, and as a relationship with God like I never had before. You know, I can speak to that very personally, too, because for many, many years, we were part of a, a religious denomination, and churchgoers, week after week after week after week, and no salvation, no salvation, no salvation, no salvation, and, and God began to stir my heart and Jackie's heart, and it's like, you know, there's something missing here. There's, there's something lacking in our spiritual life that we really need, and praise God that he sent people into our life right then as we became stirred in the heart and we began to attend a church that preached the gospel and the gospel, the power of God unto salvation impacted our hearts permanently. And praise God for that. But here in Acts, it wasn't desire that was the problem. They had a desire, but they needed someone to come and to help. We see it here in this passage that there were some man-made barriers, and these barriers had to be overcome to bring the gospel to Cornelius and his family, to the Gentiles. The problem that we see is finding a Christian, even an apostle, who would be willing to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And God would use extraordinary measures to bring this to pass. And, and here in Acts chapter 10, what we find is two major barriers in Peter the Apostle's heart that would be needed to be addressed in order for him to do so. And of course, these barriers weren't limited to Peter. It was widespread and in the culture of the day. So we need to take a look and understand these barriers and why they existed. There was a barrier wall a very strong barrier wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And it caused a mutual contempt between Jew and Gentile. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles. For 2,000 years, there was persecution at the hand of the Gentile nation, so it resulted in a great bitterness. It was like a long-standing feud between them, long history of anti-Semitism. On the other hand, through this persecution, the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. Some Jews believed that the purpose for God creating the Gentiles was to fuel the fires of hell. The Jews would often refer to Gentiles as dogs, and that is not a compliment in that day. And it was because for the most part, the, the Gentiles were pagan. They worshipped false gods. They didn't worship the God of the Bible. And the Jews, therefore, saw them as living like animals. So we're going to call them dogs. By comparison, the Jews, well, they thought or sought to live holy lives. Their desire was to follow God's commands. And the Jews referred to the Gentiles as the uncircumcision. Not only dogs, but uncircumcision. And that was a racial slur. And of course, the right of circumcision was for the Jew, and it was based on the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Remember that identified, used this identifying mark as God's chosen people. And the Jews also believed that the Gentiles didn't know God like they ought to know God, and therefore they had no relationship with them. So this barrier included other things like, for example, no serious Jew would ever, ever have a meal with a Gentile. No serious Jew would allow a Gentile to come into their home or go to a Gentile home for that matter. They would be considered through that association and even sharing a meal as ceremonially unclean and unfit for worship. Peter knew this. And he brings this up in verse 28. Let's read that again. And he said unto them, You know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So God's working in Peter's heart. And in this passage, the, the situation is even worse for Peter because Cornelius is not only a Gentile, but Cornelius is a Roman. And if a Jew in Israel had a dislike for the Gentiles, they had even a greater dislike and hatred for the Romans. Because these Gentile Romans, they occupied Israel by military force. So it was a very difficult thing for the Jews, so independent of people. Now can you imagine waking up in the morning and find that, that our nation is under siege by another? no longer is run by the United States of America, but some other nation has stepped in and ruled the U.S. by force, that would be a very difficult thing, wouldn't it? But that's what the Jews faced. They took the land. They destroyed buildings. They were a, the Romans were a conquering people. And that's the level of hostility that existed between the Jews and the Gentile Romans. The Jews in that day, they refused to believe that God had any interest or any place in heaven for Gentiles. That was the attitude of their heart. 
They could not believe that God could be God and still have a concern for a Gentile. And it was so ingrained into them, even from very early ages, from the time they were children. Now, Jackie shared a story with me about when she was in Israel in 1999, and they were on a bus, bus tour, and they passed through some Palestinian area. And the kids, little kids out there, looking at this bus, knowing they were not Palestinians, perhaps some Jews, perhaps some Christians, and these little kids are doing this. Like, it's hatred, isn't it? Little kids, three, four, five years old, it was ingrained in them much the same as this, this lack of relationship between Jew and Gentile. This attitude that the Jews had against the Gentiles it's brought out in chapter 11, which we're going to get to, when, where Peter is called to give an account. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was coming up, come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and you ate with them? It's like, how could you? Well, and after Peter shared with them how this all happened, their reaction is found in verses 17 and 18. And here's what it says. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God by saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And isn't that what repentance brings us? Brings us to life. So something happened in their hearts at this point too. This was monumental for them as Peter shared. It's as if a light went off in their hearts that God would have a concern for a Gentile person and would save them just like he saved the Jewish Christians. That's a little background of what's taking place here. So let's, let's look at how God worked all this through Peter's heart in bringing the Jew and Gentile together for salvation. Now the timing of this is very, very important too. It's very interesting because at this point in time in Acts chapter 10, it's about 10 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 10 years after Pentecost. Remember, the Great Commission had been given by Jesus 10 years earlier. And here's what he said in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And he's, this is their orders. This is a command. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Well, look at where they are. They're still in Jerusalem. Little had been done to spread the gospel up to this point. Ten years after, little had been done to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and family, let's face it, these are apostles. And certainly it went out through some of the deacons, but the apostles, for the most part, they stayed in Jerusalem. Previously, Jesus had given them the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to carry out this commission. 
So he gave the commission. He said, I want you to go, and I'm giving you the power to do it. Acts 1, verse 8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, yes, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He said, listen, listen, here's what I want you to do. He said, I'm not sending you out there on your own. I'm giving you the power to do what I'm asking you to do. But even with all that, here they are, 10 years after, they're still settled in Jerusalem. Well, Peter began to take steps of obedience. We found in chapters 8 and 9, we found Peter stepping out some. He went to meet Philip in Samaria, and what he did was he laid hands on new Jewish believers. In Acts chapter 9, Peter went to Lydda and healed a man named Aeneas. And from there he went to Joppa, where he encountered, remember, Dorcas, who was called Tabitha. She died and Peter was called. He went and God used Peter to heal her. But largely, Peter's ministry centered on who? These were all Jews. And I'm wondering if, if the Lord used Paul the Apostle. Remember after, he, after Saul came to Christ, became Paul, he went out into the desert of Arabia for three years. And then he returned to Jerusalem. And I'm wondering if, if after his return to Jerusalem, he got together with Peter and encouraged him. Peter, you know what? You've got to get out and do what God has asked you to do. You need to carry out this great commission. Maybe he said, Peter, you know what? There's a whole world out there that needs the gospel. And do we understand that? There's a whole world out there that needs the gospel. What is our world? Well, it could be somebody next door. It could be somebody right across town. There's people in our lives who are included in this, this, this thing called the whole world. It doesn't mean you need to go to Arabia. It doesn't mean any of those things. It could be if God sends you, but there's plenty of people around us that need to know the Lord, right? <clears throat> when Peter was in, in Joppa, Acts 9.43 says, And it came to pass that he, Peter, stayed many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. One might be wondering, what's the significance of that? Well, it's a very significant thing. It's interesting to know that this was a very huge challenge for Peter, given his Jewish upbringing, right? But this is where God began to cause Peter to begin to grasp the gospel of grace. And here's how. Well, what's a tanner? It's not one that sits in a tanning booth. It, a tanner is a person that takes dead animals and processes their hides to make leather. Okay? But the law of Moses said, if a man touches the carcass of a dead animal, he would be considered to be ceremonially, un, that's a hard word for me to say, <laughs> unclean for a day. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 24, and it says, for, And for these ye shall be unclean. Whosoever toucheth the carcass of them shall be unclean until the evening. Well, a tanner, based on, on their occupation, they touched carcasses of dead animals every single day. And Peter stayed there in Simon the Tanner's home for several days. So the, this hard shell that Peter had, the hard shell of the Jewish law, began to be broken down. And at this point, again, Peter had been a Christian for 10 years and an apostle. 
And we find here in Acts 10, what we're going to hear a bit is a sense of superiority that Peter had over the Gentiles. And we see this in the vision that Peter had when he went up to the housetop to pray. Let's look at verses 10 through 12 again. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while he made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit or held at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And then the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Wait a minute now. There's clean animals in there. There are, according to Moses' law, the Levitical law, there's unclean animals in there. And God says, Peter, rise and eat. Prepare them for a meal. And Peter refused. (laughs) With a contradiction of terms, he said, not so, Lord. Hmm. Lord means master, doesn't it? And it's implied here there is a master-servant relationship. And a servant would never say no to his master. Yet Peter, somehow, he, he felt compelled to refuse this command from heaven. Why? Because his Jewish pride stood in the way. And we see this reinforced in verse 14. Peter said, Not so, Lord, of I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. God, don't you know I have never broken any of the dietary laws of Moses? I've only eaten what Moses said that we could eat. Mind you, verse 10 said Peter was very hungry. He could have starved rather than bring anything unclean into his life in the form of a meal or even a Gentile. And God knew this. Certainly he knew it. And God wouldn't take no for an answer. God's voice from heaven spoke again, verse 15, a second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this was done thrice, and the vessel was received again up into heaven. Three times God said to Peter, that which I call clean, don't you call unclean. Very strong language here that God presents to him. Now imagine, now here's Peter, he's a a good Jew, he's following the letter of the law. Imagine the shock to his system. The things that Peter once held so closely all his Jewish life, they're now being brought into question. But God is making a point with him. Peter, who are you to declare a Gentile as unclean? In essence, God's saying, that's my business, not yours. If I declare something acceptable or unacceptable, then that's what it is. And the point that God is making with Peter really had almost nothing to do with dietary laws. God was making a greater point preparing Peter for the messengers that God sent from Cornelius' house to bring Peter to Cornelius. We saw that in verse 5. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Gentiles were just about at his door, and Peter had really no idea when they were coming. As Peter was perplexed by this vision, here comes these men knocking at the door of Simon the Tanner to get Peter 
And we just read about that. But you see, this is no longer about Peter looking upon mankind as he once did, as Jew or Gentile, but now looking at mankind in a far different way, and that is through the eyes of God. All mankind has the same standing before God, every single person, and that is the need that every one of us has for a Savior. Why do we need a Savior? Because we've all sinned, and our sin has separated us from God. And Gentiles, like Cornelius, and the rest of the world could be saved through the preaching of the gospel. And Peter, he finally got it. He got the message that, that this is not about food, but rather the Gentiles. Now notice with me in verse 28. Again, he said, you know that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come un, unto one of another nation but God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And this is huge. This is enormous in Peter's life. It's like admitting in a sense that he came kicking and screaming against God. But, but God, you brought me here and you showed me a different way. You showed me the better way because you showed me your way. And I love those words. He said, God has shown me. Those are great words. Have you ever had an Apostle Peter kind of attitude and, and said in your mind, maybe, or in your heart, maybe not verbally, but maybe you did? Not so, Lord. God asked you to do something. Uh, not so, Lord. I can't quite agree with that. And you kicked and screamed against the Lord. Did you ever do that? I'm going to raise my hand because I have done that. But God is so good. I'm standing here because he didn't beat me over the head with it, did he? No, he drew me. He drew me with the cords of love with truth. And the gospel, of course, pierces the heart and causes us to surrender to the Lord. But sometimes it's, Lord, you're asking me to do what? Don't, don't you know who that is? Or don't you know what he or she has done? And you want me to talk to that person? Not so, Lord. And then after God works you over in your heart. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's shaping you. He's shaping me just like he did the Apostle Peter. And you're able to say, God has shown me. God has shown me a better way. God has shown me his way. God has shown me the right way. Have you ever done that? You see, God has a way of weakening our resistance. So why resist? It's so much easier to submit, even though we may not think it at the time. But we resist, and here's why. Discomfort, right? I'm, I'm a little intimidated here. I'm a little uncomfortable with the situation. I'm uncomfortable with that person. It might be hard-hearted as I just don't want to do that. I don't feel like it right now. Or God, I'm fine just the way I am. That person's just fine the way they are. Don't you see that? I can see it, can't you? God would say No. And you know, the Jews, they believed that they had a special relationship with God, which they did, but they were wrong in this count. They thought it was because of them. They thought it was all about them. And we talked about this Wednesday night. I'm just going to touch on some of this now. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, 
It says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because, why? Because the Lord loved you. God said through Moses, you are a special people. You are God's chosen people. You are his, and you're to be holy and different. And this is the thing. God's saying, I love you because I, I love you. And he's saying to you and to me today, I love you because I love you. The Jews didn't have to learn to somehow qualify for God's love. And you know what? Neither do I. And neither do you. He loves me. He loves you because he does. And we know, you know, as we've studied the scriptures, we know love is a choice. And God has chosen to love us. Why? Because it's in accordance with his nature. 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is what? God is love. And he will not contradict his nature. He will never contradict his word. If God is love, then he loves you because he loves you. I don't have to do something to, uh, to, to offer God to cause him to love me. It's not about who we are or where we've been or what we've done. It's not because we're so stinking lovable or lovely. And you are. <laughs> but that's not why God loves you. His love isn't because of you. It's in spite of you. His love for me is in spite of me. I'm so grateful it's not a performance-based love, aren't you? Aren't you thankful for that? Because we could never perform well enough before God. We've sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. And God's love for us has no conditions attached to it, no strings. It's agape love, it's called. And that's what Peter learned. And we have to be careful after we've been saved to think that we've done something in order to be saved or some special quality that we may have, some sense of superiority. But remember, you were not saved because of you. You were saved because of Jesus. And apart from him, you'd be no different than anybody else. You know, Paul the Apostle said this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, and this is so important. He, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I have labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And Paul would never, ever forget what he would be apart from God saving him. But only by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you and I can say that too. Only by the grace of God, I am what I am. So we've seen here that God's working this element of pride out of Peter's life. And we see in verse 34 the second barrier that God removed. And that is Peter was a respecter of persons. And here's what it says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. You see, no partiality with God. And here we see one of the greatest contrasts between God and man. And that is, you and I, let's face it, even though we may not want to face it, we are prone to partiality in some way or in many ways. 
But partiality doesn't exist in the character or nature of God. God shared this with us in the Old Testament. He spoke it through a great man of God, anointed by God to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul. And of course, we're speaking of the prophet Samuel. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 7. And Samuel said, Peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons. And of course Samuel was called to name the next king. And he called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointing is, is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So he said, Jesse, he said, go get your sons. And there were eight. How many did Jesse bring in? Seven. That little David, he doesn't count. (laughs) He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. And he smells, by the way. He hangs out with sheep all day. You don't want him. Well, that's not the case. God says, ultimately, he's my choice. Maybe not man's choice. And Samuel was all set and ready to pour the oil upon Eliab. Hey, he's the oldest, he's the tallest, he's the strongest, he's the best looking. Great stature. But he wasn't the one. Why did he think he was the one? Because they measured outwardly. Samuel was a human being, just like all of us. We all make mistakes. And he chose based on his criteria. And you see, when we choose on our criteria, rather than God's choosing, it opens up a whole new window window of potential failure, doesn't it? Why? Because we don't see what God sees. We as spiritual people can also make the same mistake sometime. We don't see what God sees, and we make judgments based on what we think we see. We've probably all done it. Are you more inclined to sit and chat with someone that might be quite different than you or how you perceive yourself to be? I am. That's part of our sin nature. You know, we evaluate, we categorize, we assess, we judge by what we observe. And, and God said, Samuel, you're making a choice based on your assessment rather than my choice and I told you I would choose. God said, I, I look on the inward. I look at the heart while you're looking at the outward appearance. Well, what do we need to do? I mean, given what we're learning about Peter and how God had shaped him for sharing the truth, what, what are we to do? I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, that was, that was back then. It's fine for Peter. We live in a different world now, and and we do, of course, but God hasn't changed. But let me say this. You and I, we can't buy into this whole cultural swirl that's around us. It's more tangible and more easily measured when we look at the outward appearance. Isn't that the way? 
This is what I see, this is what I hear, so my judgment is, my sentence is cast. But you know what, that's the wrong way. We need to sit before the Lord, saturate ourselves in his almighty presence. And when we do, we will find something that matters in, in another person. Why? Because God can show us what matters in another person. He can show us the need. Something that God values more than what man values. And it can only happen when we're attuned to God's heart. It has to be that way. In a sensitivity to his spirit. The scriptures tells us in, in 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect or wholly centered on him. Maybe that's what we need to look for too. Maybe we need to look for people that are a bit different and allow God to lead it. Well, when Peter made that statement of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, that is revelation to him. God revealed this incredible truth that, that God is not partial. And I would suggest, no, I, I'm going to do more than suggest. I can certainly say that we live in a world that is filled with partiality, don't we? Think about it. People every single day are put into categories. People are put into groups. And then the groups are oftentimes pitted against one another, be it by race, gender, economics, religion, morality, you name it. And that's just touching the tip of the iceberg. But worse than that is the reality, in family, listen, this message is for me, and you can certainly listen in. The reality is this, that we as Christians, we can create barriers too. We can create barriers against the lost. And we can look at the lost as the enemy. And we can easily forget that every single day that God is working to bring them into a holy relationship with him the same way that he did with me and you. We expect so much of the lost sometimes. We expect them to act like Christians. There's no way they can, apart from the Holy Spirit of God. We can't forget that we were once dead in trespasses and sin. We certainly ought to hate Satan and his devils. It's okay. We can hate sin. We ought to hate sin, but you know what? We cannot hate the sinner. Jesus hates no one. He gave his life for everyone out of love. And we may not like what people do. We may not like what they say. We may not like or agree with their personal views or morals. But we are not free to become partial. We are not free to become biased or prejudiced against them. Because what we will be doing is separate ourselves into this Christian subculture the same way the apostles did. And God took care of it, didn't he? And if we do that, if we're found guilty of doing that, we're going to begin to neglect the great commission which would soon become the great suggestion. And it is not a suggestion by God. We need to take the command from Jesus seriously. 
It's a command that we have been given. But not only have we been given it, just like the apostles back then, we have been given the power to carry it out. Now, according to the Great Commission, who is included as needing that message? <laughs> every single one of us, every single person, every sinner, no person excluded. Every single person ought to hear the gospel, and we are called to share it. Every person needs to hear it. And let's face it, we live in a perilous time in what I believe are the last days. But you know what? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse than it is even now. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I think we're seeing that. He said, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent or no control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Do you see any of that today? We see a lot of that. And Jesus said in the last days it would be as in the days of Noah. Well, what is it that characterized the days of Noah? Genesis 6, 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually, that means that there was no distinction between right and wrong. There was no distinction between moral and immoral. And you know what, family? We can't pretend it's not there. We can't ignore the fact that everyone needs Jesus and Jesus wants to reach them just like he reached me and you. And unless we purpose to respond to all we see around us with love, that's an attribute of God that will never change. Unless we respond with compassion, Unless we respond with the gospel, what's going to happen, unless we do those things, we will build a wall of partiality so thick and so high, be it out of pride, be it out of fear, or be it out of prejudice. And we have to, to resist the temptation to do that because in the midst of all we see in the unsaved world, there are people that need God and are seeking God just like Cornelius just waiting for someone to bring the truth to them. And you know, as I think about the culture that has been established today, and it's painful to watch sometimes, isn't it? It's painful to see what's going on. But in the culture that's been established today and is applauded, it covers up the pain and the damage inflicted upon its own victims, doesn't it? You don't read about that in the headlines, do you? Those families that have been destroyed, those lives that have been destroyed, the suicide rates going up, alcoholism, drug abuse, you name it. Broken families on the rise, family structures, as God has established, they crumble 
or are eliminated. And we see increases in pedophilia, sex trafficking, sexually transmitted disease, mental health crises. They're all on the rise. And what do we do? What we recognize is a mental health crisis. Let's throw millions of dollars at it. Is that going to fix it? I don't think so. All these things are not a solution to the pain and devastation that we see every single day. They're an absolute, at very best, a placebo that has no ability to cure. The solution, the cure, can only be found in Jesus Christ. And God has commanded us to bring Christ to them. If we choose to ignore these things and separate ourselves, what's going to happen? We're going to create an unbiblical separation, and it won't be good. It won't be good. The perceived differences between the Jews and Gentiles were great. But God showed Peter and the apostles that any barrier, any partition, any partiality, he said, listen, that's not of me. That's of you. And as a result of what took place in Acts chapter 10, here we are today, that together we belong to Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Listen, family, we've got a brand new year now. A brand new year. 2023 is beginning. And maybe perhaps we need a different attitude And maybe we can ask God to give us his heart, his attitude for those that we feel oppose us. And rather than seeing them as opposition, perhaps we need to see them as needy. Needy for Jesus Christ. And I believe that that God is challenging us through this passage. I'm challenged by it. I pray all of us are challenged by it. Because God wants something better. He's shaping us. He's shaping me. He's he's shaping you. The question is, will you allow him to shape you in order for you to share the gospel? Or will you add to any walls of partiality that you presently have? I don't think we need to do that. I think we need to allow God to break down those barriers that exist right now, to tear them down, and to give each of us his heart in all of this. It's really important. There's a world out there that needs to hear a message of hope. And there's only one source of hope. And we know that source of hope is Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some here today that maybe you're looking at life right now and saying there's no hope. Well, you know what? There isn't any hope in this world, but there's hope in the next. This world is going to go away But Jesus will never go away. He's calling out to sinful man just like he did to Cornelius, putting a stir in his heart. Maybe God has stirred someone's heart this morning to come to Christ so that your life will be changed, that your soul will be saved, and you can be absolutely certain that you've got a home in heaven when you leave this place. Would you pray with me? if you'd like to receive Christ now. And Father, come to you now. 
And I realize that, that I need you. I, I'm a sinner. And I'm so grateful you sent your son Jesus to be my savior. So I bear my heart. I confess my sin. And I ask you to please, by your grace, forgive me. I know that you love me, and I, I see evidence of that on the cross where you died for me. So I invite you into my heart right now to be the Lord of my life, that you would make the necessary changes in me that need to be changed, but most importantly, that I would have a relationship with you, Father, through your son Jesus, who died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And help me turn from my ways and turn my life and surrender it to you. And Father, also for, for each of us here today, as we've studied the word of God and, and we see, God, how you shaped uh, the Apostle Peter and so many others so that he would be willing to bring forth the good news, the gospel, to share. And Lord, if there's any here today, that if we've got barriers in our heart, Lord, right now, and I, Lord, you're bringing things to my mind right now, I confess those things to you and pray you would help me through them, that I would be a, that others, as we just sang, that they would, they would see Christ in me and that I would look upon others with the heart, the compassion, the love in the eyes of my Savior. And I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need your help. I need you. So please help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Um, the family, we're going to share the Lord's table now.